Hi, this is Jerry DiPiano, CEO of FemPharma, Consumer Healthcare on the Love Mia Vita podcast. Welcome to our listeners and to our special guest, Dr. Vonda Wright. Uh, Dr. Wright is an extraordinary professional and orthopedic surgeon, and we are so excited to have her with us on our podcast today. And Vonda is going to be sharing some important information on what we as women should be paying attention to with respect to our musculoskeletal health, particularly when we reach the age of 40 and beyond. Hi, welcome to Love Mia Vita podcast, the podcast to women for women. I'm Jerry DiPiano, women's healthcare advocate and founder of FemPharma. I'm joined by Dr. Deborah Saltman, physician, researcher, the thinker, and medical director. Thanks, Jerry. I'm really proud to be a part of FemPharma's commitment to keeping women healthy and safe and this series of podcasts. Together, we're providing solutions for women who care about living their best lives at any age. As trailblazers, we aim to break down the myths and provide the truths about everything women want and care about. Imagine that. We asked women what they want, and we're about to deliver it. By the way, we hope to entertain you, and that's no BS. Over the coming months, we'll be speaking with experts about topics that matter, mental and physical well-being, and what more could be done. We will push our experts to give you answers that are real. So send us your questions, and here's to loving our lives. So, Vonda, welcome to the Love Me Avita podcast, and perhaps you could share with our listeners some of your distinguished background. Well, I'm so thrilled that you invited me today to speak to your crowd. You have come onto my podcast and really shared amazing wisdom with everybody who hangs out with me. And, you know, I was teasing you earlier in our conversations. I have said things to you about intimate health and the, and the products that you have, which frankly I use, um, that has opened an entirely new conversation for me across the airwaves. So I'm thankful for the work that you do too. But, you know, I am an orthopedic surgeon. My day job, my W-2 job, if you will, is as an orthopedic surgeon. And I'm a sports doctor and I do shoulder, hip and knee arthroscopy. I've been an educator my whole life. But that was not my first career in medicine. My first career in medicine in the 90s actually was as a cancer nurse. And I think when you are in a place in your early 20s where I was, where you're taking care of people in life and death situations, and many of them on the floor I worked on were women. It really taught me amazing lessons about life and about the value of total health and how we really have to pull together as women to take care of each other. And so that has influenced that experience. I was only a nurse for six years, but that experience has really been the foundation of my entire career, whether it's orthopedic surgery and taking care of athletes and active people of all ages and skill levels, or whether it's in writing books that I do. I've written a series of books for people 40, 50, 60 and beyond, because I want everybody to realize that 
what I have found in my research, which my research is all on musculoskeletal aging, is that we are not destined to go from the vitality of youth down some slippery slope to the frailty of old age unless we choose to. But if we want to be healthy, vital, active, joyful, there's so many ways now that modern science and modern inventions help us live in an exuberant way to live more every day. And so that's the other half of my career. It's writing books for the public. It is speaking worldwide. It's doing fun things like this, being on podcasts to really help people understand that we can be ageless. And that, and frankly, I'm trying to pivot the conversations I have. I've already pivoted away from anti-aging. You'll never hear me say that unless someone makes me say it. I talk about aging and being ageless, but I'm all, I'm trying to now pivot the conversation. Why do we have a conversation about aging? Why aren't we talking about living life? I mean, I'm living life at the age I am. You are at, you are, yes, we're aging, but from the minute of our conception to the minute of our death, that's actually the most natural process of life. So let's just call it life, right? Right. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping the work that you do and I do and all the neat women that we've networked with lately will just be able to pivot the conversation away from this negative connotation to healthy, vital, active, joyful, amazing place that we are. And so that's the second half of my career that is coupled with being a musculoskeletal doctor. Um, so I get to help on both sides of the issue, I guess. Well, you've had an incredible career and the fact that you spent the first and early part of your career as an oncology nurse dealing with the cancer community probably has made you an even better physician, surgeon, and communicator because you understand the process of life. We think of cancer as a chronic illness. No longer is it a death sentence. Yes, unfortunately, there are some cases where um, individuals will reach the end of life sooner uh, rather than later. But for most individuals, it's living with cancer. So it's important that we communicate and it's important that we think about an integrative approach. And, and that's really what we're talking about here is how do we integrate health and wellness into our lives at any stage of life? And women and men both experience declines in hormone levels that have an impact on their overall, the overall ways in which they live their life. But it's really about the exuberance of life and how we, how we live life exuberantly. I think it's important that we start this conversation with, yes, let's talk about some of the changes that we can expect in our 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond and what those implications are for living our best life for living Mia Vita, your life, my yes. life, the best life and loving it. So when we talk about love Mia Vita, that's what we're speaking about. Love my life. It's about living. Um, and so I guess, Vanna, we can, uh, we should think about what happens, for example, when women reach the age of 40 and may mm -hmm. start to see a decline, could happen before then, mm -hmm. but for the average woman, looking at what happens when she enters her early 40s mm -hmm. and she may start to experience some changes in hormone levels. And what, what is the implication, for example, for her bone mineral density and bone mass? And, and how should we be thinking about those sorts of issues? 
You know what? I always address the 40s as the critical decade, right? So let's think about the lifespan, right? We live in a country that idolizes youth, 20s, 30s, and I get it. It was fun. I have a bunch of millennial children and they're having the times of their lives, right? I understand why we look at that. But the fact of the matter is, why are we worshiping a, an age of inexperience, right? If you want to really live the best of life, you need a little bit of experience and the cost of experience is aging. So 20 and 30 year old women, they're out of their education. They've spent some time in their careers. Millennials are not becoming attached as my generation did right out of college. They may have relationships, but they're not jumping into marriage right away. And so they're taking the 10 years between 20 and 30 and sometimes up to 35 to really invest in themselves. And so when they do actually settle down and millennials are having their children later, they may be having their first, second child in their early 40s, right? And so right about the time they're having children and their fertility is changing, and then you hit 40-ish, and you begin to become perimenopausal, which really means that the body is altering the hormonal secretion of estrogen, progesterone, even testosterone levels change. And with that, we see changes in the way we wear our weight, where our fat is distributed. We see changes in our brain fogginess. You know, when I hit perimenopause in my mid forties, now I see this in retrospect, I didn't see at the time. I thought I was just still brain fuzzy from having my biological child at 40, 41, right? But what I was experiencing was the brain fog that happened with pregnancy. And now the brain fog that's happening with perimenopause, I just want one smooth thing into the other. So women start seeing the brain changes, the weight distribution changes, and that comes from gaining fat and leaning and losing lean muscle mass. And all the 34 symptoms of true menopause begin to start occasionally uh, manifesting in perimenopause. But for the musculoskeletal system, what we see is more aching. You know, you get out in the bed in the morning and instead of just jumping out and it feels like nothing, you start to be a little bit more ginger. We feel aching and then it goes away. But I first started noticing it about that time. 40s are a critical decade. If you do not have your metabolic health, your, your bone density, your almost every part of health, that's, I can't think of a part of health that we do not need to get in order during our 40s. Because if we have ignored it in our 20s and 30s, and we hit 40, and we still ignore it, I'm here to tell you, ladies, that 50 comes on hard. So I always encourage people to start paying attention to all these things you've, you've mentioned. And frankly, it's kind of the first health adulting people do. They get their first mammograms. They need to get their first colonoscopy in their 40s. You need to have your first physical if you've never had anything except an OB-GYN visit, right? It's the adulting of health. If you don't have life insurance, now's the time, right? All these things that I call making the critical decade. When I hit 40, uh, one of the things that changed with me, and it really sort of prompted all of what you just shared, was that I've always had decent vision. <laughs> and when I hit 40, I had already started this company, and I was reading a lot of contracts. And all of a sudden, I couldn't read the fine print on contracts. And I am very detail-oriented, so that was a little troubling. Ended up getting my first pair of bifocals. And it hit me that I was finally an adult. And I needed to really pay attention to things like my vision. And that 
you know, again, I've been in this business in, in women's healthcare for a very long time. So it's not that that I'm not well aware of what some of the changes are that occur once you hit the fourth decade of life. But it was that sort of light bulb moment and the, the, the issue with the vision that prompted me to then start thinking, okay, I better go get that mammogram. Mm -hmm. I better think about having my bone mineral density assessed because I do have a mother who has osteoporosis. So that's really important. So guess what? I got myself a personal trainer. That's great. But yeah, so my brother, uh, who is an exercise scientist said, listen, uh, you need to start thinking about these issues, your musculoskeletal health. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I danced. I was, you know, I danced right. ballet for many years. I've always run. I, you know, I've been physically active. So, you know, you need to think about shaking up those activities a little bit. With all the work we've done in my research line on musculoskeletal aging, you know, there's a thought that there's really nothing you can do about this, right? But the fact of the matter is we've proven in our studies and, and many other researchers that we're doing work at the same time we were and have come after us have proven that our bodies will rise to the occasion of the stresses we put our bodies up against. Now, I don't say stress in a negative way. And and I wanted to go back a little bit. The way I describe 40s as a critical decade, you know, may have come off really negative. In fact, I think it's one of the most positive times in our lives because we're finally progressed in our careers. Hopefully financially, we're more stable than we were when we were 20s. And we have the opportunity to adult in a very positive way. But we will change inevitably but there are things we can do about it. For instance, most women that I talk to or look on Facebook groups that I'm involved in, we hate the midlife or, or the 40-year-old muffin top, or we hate the jiggly. And, you know, frankly, women ask me, what can we do? Well, many women or men are talking about weight loss at this time, right? We're getting jiggly. Let's lose some weight. I would rather reframe the conversation in let's build some lean muscle mass. Not only is muscle more metabolically healthy, but if we're just focused on losing fat, we will lose muscle along the way. But if we focus, for instance, on changing our body composition and maintaining our lean muscle mass, because it's actually more healthy for us, that secondarily will help us control the jiggliness that we loathe, right? So people, you know, I try to boil down to what is the minimum viable product we need for healthy 40, 50, 60. Well, number one, if we're going to prioritize is let's, let's build some lean muscle mass because that affects everything. So we got to lift some weights. We got to climb some stairs. We got to do some some heavy lifting, if you will, whether it's around your house or truly in a gym, you know, let's build some lean muscle mass. And that also helps your bones. You know, you had mentioned we need to be concerned with our bone density. One of the studies that I formed a group called Prima, it's called the Performance and Research Initiative for Masters Athletes. One of the studies, two of the studies we did was on bone density. And lo and behold, we found that high impact exercise, and I, I sometimes describe it as bashing your bones, although I people smile when I say that, but literally what I mean is all mobility is good, but if you have a choice and are capable, we need to jump up and down. We need to run. We need to stair climb. How about some jump roping? How about some plyometrics if we can? If we can't, then building lean muscle mass is a great way to build our bones. But if we can, let's put some impact across our bones. So knowing that baseline is super important too. You mentioned having, 
you know, seeing uh, perhaps someone other than your gynecologist, but seeing someone that, um, whether it's an endocrinologist, if you suspect you may have osteoporosis, to really get that baseline when you're, yeah. when you, you hit the fourth decade, so that, you know, if they're recommending that, um, if you have osteoporosis, for example, are you more prone to vertebral fractures, fractures of the spine or the, mm -hmm. or the wrists? So if you're doing your plank and you're, you're doing your planks incorrectly, or you're decide to become the weekend warrior and you've never run, but now you want to get into running, you know, does that predispose you to some other injuries that may then impact you later on? So getting that assessment and that baseline, um, is that, what are your thoughts on that? So I think, I, I think that uh, knowing baselines is really important and it's not only what your bone density is, but you bring up a good point that it's part of the physical exam is getting your past medical history. I mean, we need to know if women in your family are all uh, succumbing to breast cancer because breast cancer can be, it's not always, but can be hereditary. Osteoporosis also tends to run in families, right? It's not only behavioral, it is, it's gen genetic. So knowing a family history, doing a deep dive, asking your relatives, how was your menopause? Did you, looking at the fractures that happened in your family, those are all clues to your future. Now, here's the good news. We are not destined to live our grandmother's lives. We can change through our behaviors, our life, but it's good to know what you're starting with. And so baselines are critical. It's also critical that we do things called biomarkers of aging. I do this in my own orthopedic practice because there are things we know predict the future of your aging. For instance, I love to talk about something called senescent cells now. Uh, we can get into that. But the, having high levels of senescent cells, which are part of aging, can predispose you to increase cancers and more pain. And so we try to get rid of a certain percentage of those or things like NAD plus, which is an energy store in your body. So that kind of baseline labs, not only knowing your liver function, your heart function, but some of the biomarkers of aging are important. Now I know many people are probably thinking now, okay, got it. I can get a mammogram order from a doctor. I can get a bone density order from a doctor. I'm probably going to be able to get labs if I ask for them. But who am I going to go to? Well, I encourage people. It's a tough world out there for doctors right now because insurance companies give us about seven and a half minutes to see you, which is not what you deserve. That's what is paid for, frankly. So what I encourage people to do is if you cannot get all the comprehensive care from your very good PCP, sometimes you need to seek out other sources. You may need to find out you may need to decide not to invest in the stereo or the very expensive luggage or purse and invest in a concierge doctor who can spend more time with you. I mean, I think it's about priorities, right? And it sounds a little strange when I say it out loud and people look at me like, are you kidding me? I'd rather have the expensive car than an expensive doctor. But I'm going to tell you, no, that is not right because the car will not make you live longer or more healthily if we're going to reallocate funds so that you have more time with the healthcare providers you need, maybe it's something to think about because living the kind of comprehensive life that you and I are talking about, I actually, I have health insurance and I have to pay for a lot of the care that I want because I prioritize it that way. So that in itself is a mindset shift in how we get our healthcare. Well, it's also, um, what I've also discovered is that, um, 
when you do, if you see, if you see a gynecologist and you, you know, you're in your forties and you, you're in perimenopause, maybe you're having dysfunctional uterine bleeding, which really means that you're either bleeding a lot, yeah. you're bleeding too long, you are getting, you have erratic or irregular bleeding. They'll say, oh, it's you know, basically it's waved away. It's just, you know, part of the decline in estrogen. You can expect that. And if you want something that will ameliorate those symptoms, it's not considered medically necessary, right? Right. It's right. not considered medically necessary. So the, the things that we're talking about, so these changes, unless they are, you know, unless it's discovered that it's some kind of crisis situation. So if you, you know, if your vision, if you're, you, you start to see changes in your vision or in your balance and it's determined that it's something really serious, then obviously you'll get the treatment that you need. And it, if you have insurance and depending upon what type of insurance you have, it should be covered, right? But for changes that we see in perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause, mm -hmm. most of those are not reimbursed, even if you have a very good insurance policy. So correct. I pay for my own hormone replacement. So there you go. Right. So I have the great fortune of, because I'm a physician, access to great doctors. I know who's the best. I know where to find them. I have one of the best gynecologists in all of Atlanta, but it is still not covered. She can write prescriptions all day long. So to get what I needed, I hired, I hired an integrative medicine doctor and I did the research myself. I read this book that you're probably, I've probably talked to you about it before. I needed the answers about hormone replacement to make my own decision, which I encourage every woman to do. And I read Estrogen Matters by Avram Bloom and Carol Tavris. And I digested the information for myself so that I didn't have to live in fear of, is this for me or not? And then to get what I needed, I have to buy it myself. And I know that all women are not in the position to be able to do this, but all women are in the position to get the information they need. They can find it on this podcast, on my podcast, on the internet, they can read books and then find ways to, to find clinicians who can help them. I mean, we have to do a lot of our own healthcare these days. And I'm a doctor saying this to you, you must be your own advocate. You must take control of your own health. You absolutely must do that. And again, you know, we've both been immersed in this, uh, you as a physician and a clinician and a surgeon. And in my case, it says, you know, a, a person who has spent years uh, developing drugs for women's health care, first in multinational companies, mm -hmm. and then in small pharma, biopharma, and now in consumer health. And when we think about consumer health, we think about ways in which to use integrative non-prescription ways in which to address each symptom, particularly in our case, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Mm -hmm. So one, one of the things that we look at are, you know, how does, you know, how do you take responsibility for your own health and wellness? It starts with the baseline. We talk about becoming your own advocate and finding a practitioner that is willing to spend time with you. Could be an integrative medicine specialist, could be a concierge doc, could be a nurse practitioner in women's health care who's willing to do um, some conversation with you about some of the topics that we've been discussing. Um, we think about things like hot flashes, for example. And if you're a woman who's having hot flashes and 
you're not you're not willing or you are ineligible to use systemic mm -hmm. estrogen mm -hmm. containing products what can you do well, there are some options that you may consider that are consumer over the counter don't mm -hmm. require a prescription mm -hmm. but you may not know about them um, and they will make an impact on your ability to stay active and that's really the bottom line the bottom line is staying active being involved getting up and moving changing your you know changing that mindset i'm not old 40 50 60 70 80 i have a 90 year old mother she's not old she's not old she's young in her mind and that's what we need to remember i love that you keep bringing up mindset because i i gave a keynote speech recently all the scientists on aging I had ever read was sitting in the audience as well as some donors. And I was charged with relating aging science to the, to the civilian donors, right? To the people who are interested. And one of the things I said to them was this issue of mindset. I said, if we are running from death or we are afraid to look forward because we're always looking behind at our 20s and 30s, we're never going to get there. So I'm so pleased that you keep coming back to that, that it's Yes, there are so many physical things we can do. There are so many interventions now that the science has caught up. Your own science, the products that um, Fem Pharma uh, releases, the science has caught up and there's so much more to do. But if our mindset does not keep up, if we're running from death instead of running towards the future, we're never gonna get to where we need to be because we're gonna be coming from a place of fear instead of a place of aspiration. So with, with that in mind, we know, we know that there are going to be some natural changes that occur as a function of the decline in estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone yes. in our bodies. That's inevitable. But that doesn't mean that we can't live our best lives and our most vibrant lives. And so when we think about this, okay, we, we've all had the experience of we, you know, maybe we were college athletes and maybe we weren't, but we have had a level, level of physical activity, maybe we swam or maybe we ran or maybe you played field hockey or maybe you played tennis. That may be different now that you are approaching the fourth decade or in your fifth decade. So we ought to be thinking about, okay, so can I still do this and do this without injury? Because now um, I can't see the tennis ball. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm wearing my glasses and I need to wear progressive lenses, but you know, and I kind of, I kind of like um, racket sports. So you know, maybe I need to switch that up a little bit. Maybe that looks like pickleball. Maybe it doesn't look like tennis. Um, so let's let's chat a bit about what that may mean. How how should we be thinking about the activities that we did that mm -hmm. we loved that we might, may still want to engage in? But you know what? We're, we're now, you know, we're now having balance issues or we're having vision issues. How, how should we be thinking about that? Well, here's the deal. I want to say it again. There's never an age or skill level when your body will not respond to the demands you place on it. So what does that mean? Let's say that you were a elite athlete and now you're a 50 or 60 year old with a history of being an elite athlete. So you know what it felt like you know what it took to get there. Are you still willing to work that hard is the question. Do you even wanna play at that level? And if not, what can you adopt from being like that to today? And 
you know, if you were a professional hockey player, my husband was a professional hockey player. He can still skate. He just doesn't want to skate with current pro players, right? It, you don't have to give up everything you love. But what if you are, uh, I, call, I call people who never exercise but want to do it now because they've seen the value of this in their life, adult onset exercisers, which is most people, because either you're never done it or you're a glory dayer. You used to do it and then gay had a big hiatus when you were busy with life and family and now you're going to do it again. How do you start back? Here's how you start back. First, you get a physical and make sure that there's not something seriously that's going to prohibit you. Just be smart. Can we please just check it out? Once you get the okay that there's nothing stopping you, I like adults to focus on four areas of mobility. Number one, and I call it facing your future. Flexibility, aerobic, carrying a load, which is the building of lean muscle mass, and equilibrium and balance. So how do you do that? F for flexibility is with age, our muscles and tendons, because of the changes in the molecular structure, get tighter and tighter. If you do nothing about it, you end up being a shuffling 90-year-old who has trouble with falling down and gets hurt a lot, right? So we need to spend time every day stretching back out our muscles and our tendons, and it doesn't take that long. You just have to hold your long, slow, static stretch, 30 seconds if you're below 60, one minute if you're above 60, and you will maintain your flexibility. Or you can employ things like Pilates or yoga or all the other movement type classes that are available now. So that's flexibility. Number two, aerobics. How do we keep our heart and lungs and our blood pressure tip top shape? Well, I suggest starting out with something called speed play. You do not have to work towards anybody's goals, but your own. So I suggest warming up for five minutes. Now, if you're an elite athlete, warming up may be a seven minute mile for you. If you're a walker, it may be walking for five minutes. But once you're warm and your breath is coming a little faster and you're sweating a little bit, I want you to pick up the pace for three minutes. For me, I'll just give you my examples. I warm up on a treadmill at about 3.8. That is where I'm walking fast and I have to make the decision whether I'm gonna go up and jog or go down, right? So I warm up at 3.8. Then I speed it up. Now, when I am in shape, my, my going fast is about seven to eight. So I go fast for me, because I'm not an elite athlete. I go fast for three minutes. Then I completely turn it down to 3.2 again right? And I go fast, slow, fast, slow in these five minute intervals, three minutes fast, two minutes slow. And I stack those for 20 to 30 minutes. Once that's easy, I start eliminating uh, the recovery and I go four, one, four, one. And you never have to go completely to running. In fact, intervals, high intensity intervals are a great way to speed up uh, the way your body's metabolism is working and to get an afterburn. So that's flexibility, that's aerobic. You can don't have to do it on a treadmill. You can do it on a rower, a stair climber, the street, a light post, a light post. C is carry a load. I specifically didn't call it weightlifting because I think you can lift anything, whether it's your grandkid, whether it's your own body on BOSU balls, you can use anything, but you must build lean muscle mass. And finally, equilibrium and balance, E, F-A-C-E. 
you can totally retrain your balance. You do not want to be falling over from a, from a standing position, but I have lots of patients that do. They just get off balance and fall. You can retrain your balance by brushing your teeth on one leg. I'm not kidding. It sounds crazy. Every morning, just brush your teeth standing on one leg. And when you've mastered that, then you can go pull out a BOSU ball and do all kinds of fancy balance moves. But this little method, FACE, is a great way to start again or to increase your intensity because you're not trying to do somebody else's workout. You're trying to do your workout. I think that's, you know, that's super important because there are going to be folks listening, women listening uh, to this podcast, and they're going to come from all different walks of life, from, uh, you know, family situations that may impede their ability to go for that long run through a park. They may mm -hmm. not even have access to those, you know, to facilities. They may not have access to a good pair of running shoes. Mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, so the, the equipment that they have is right here, right? It's their body, right? Their two legs, their feet, their arms. That's their right. Right. And That's so right. You know, there are things that they can do, even if they don't have the quote unquote, right equipment or the right circumstances. So we just came out of, hopefully we're coming out of a pandemic where many of us were confined to our homes and we may not have had access to the right equipment. Can, can't, you don't have a pair of running shoes available. So we have to use our own body. So it's whatever you can do to be creative. Mm -hmm. So if it's lifting those shoes, to your point, if it's lifting pots and pans or two bags of, of sugar, five pound bags of sugar, whatever that is, you can get really creative with the way in which you think about this. And, and I also am mindful that there are gonna be individuals who have special circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it could be that they do have um, their hearing impaired, which perhaps may impact their balance and mm -hmm. that's not gonna change. They may also have vision impairment or so they may, there may be special circumstances, certain diseases and disorders that impede their ability to do certain things. But even sitting in a chair, we can do certain exercises and Perhaps that's that's a, another discussion. How how does someone that has special circumstances thrive in the face of that in those special circumstances? Well, you know what I think that um, it, it's a great thing you bring up. For instance, the very first research that I ever read on increasing increasing fitness in older people where it was actually done uh, by a researcher called Fia Tarone, who did the studies in 90 year old nursing home residents and all they used was a chair and getting up and down from a chair if you're not strong is actually quite a struggle, right? You have to put your arms on the sides and you can't just stand up. So imagine being put through a regimen of 10 chair sets and then when that's easy, you do two sets of 10. And when that's easy, you add a pound of sugar or you add whatever you have in their house. Do you know in that first series of studies that the functional uh, fitness of those 90-year-old nursing home residents increased more than 150% so they can get up out of a chair? So it, it, here's another example. In my home in Atlanta, there are 17 stairs going from the first floor to the second floor. 
I was gone all summer and I did not run up and down those stairs 62 times a day. And when I went back, I noticed that my knees hurt a little more going down the stairs because I had not used my 17 stairs in my own house to keep my quad and my rear end strong, right? So it doesn't matter if you don't have access to a gym. You have a street, you can go mailbox to mailbox. You probably have stairs. You can go up and down them carrying whatever you have in your house. You can use your own body weight and you can use your sink to hold on to as you're increasing your balance while you're brushing your teeth so that if you're hearing impaired, you don't fall down or your vision is worsening like mine is like, you know, I'm in the same boat you are. I now wear bifocals um, to stay safe. You don't have to go somewhere fancy or have a, an exorbitant membership. You just need a mindset that you are worth the daily investment in your health. You have to believe that you are worth it or you're never going to do anything. So we, you know, we, we joke, um, you know, chatted about my mom, who's I, I 90. Call, she has nine lives. Um, she's had just for those listeners who think, oh, wow, you know, this is only for, for women who are healthy and they don't have any issues. So my mom has had cardiovascular disease. She has had cancer and she has um, also had several autoimmune diseases. Wow. She's 90 years old. She has persisted through all of that, um, through the loss of a husband um, over 12 years ago. And she, during the pandemic, was confined to an assisted living facility where she got up every day. And the only thing she could do with her mask on was to walk the hallways. And she did so every single day with her walker every day walked the hallways with a walker for 30 minutes a day. So it, it is a mindset because as she said, yes. I don't want death to come too soon. So I'm going to live. <laughs> I love your mindset. This is one tough lady. So for those listeners that think oh, I'm too old or I'm too frail, there are things you can do to gradually make your way through right. even the later decades, even through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and beyond. But for those of you that are 40 and 50 and 60, it's never too late. It is never too late. Adjustments. <laughs> but it is important to think about your musculoskeletal health at this pivotal point in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and while we're talking about the pivotal point in your life, um, we, you know, we, we know that there are some things that are probably taking place in your uh, pelvic and reproductive organs, which perhaps you're, you know, going to the bathroom more frequently and, you know, that looks like it might be an overactive bladder or maybe your pelvic floor is a little weak because you've had some children and, whether that's in 2030s or 40s, that may be impacting you. Um, you may have vaginal dryness and or vulvar dryness. And when you sit on that exercise bike, you may notice that it hurts a little bit more or you feel like you have to urinate because you're putting pressure on your pelvic floor. There are things that we can do to help you to, to continue to exercise and to be active without worrying about those consequences. So there are opportunities for you to deal with those kinds of symptoms and not let it impact your ability to get out there and walk 
or run or mm -hmm. lift the 10 pound bag because, oh my goodness, it's so, it's so heavy um, that I feel like my bladder, I'm going <laughs> to, bladder is going to start leaking. Right, right? Right. There are things that can be done to help with those kinds of symptoms. You don't have to feel that you are either alone or that as Kelly Casperson says, you're not broken. You That's are right. I love that. I love when she says that. And I think the point you make is so critical in that you do not have to tolerate all these things. There are, there are interventions, there are products, there are other women to talk to. And I would just encourage everyone that's listening to pursue your own health and well-being and the way you feel in the same way you would pursue it for your children or your spouse or your, or your own parents, you would not sit back and let bad things happen to them. But we as women tend to take care of everyone except ourselves. So what you're suggesting, uh, Darian, I just love, you must pursue all these options with the same passion that you would do it for people you take care of. Absolutely. We just did a podcast a few weeks ago on sleep and sleeplessness. And mm -hmm. women tend to be over -wor worrying, needlessly ruminating. And so they lie awake thinking about everybody else, but themselves. Yeah. And, you know, the, the cliche is you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. If you're not, if, if mama's not well, if you're not well, you cannot be there for others. It's so the truth. So whomever those others happen to be, um, you can't be there. So we have a few rules that I know you have used previously in some of your, in your book, uh, Fitness Over 40, and in your, um, in your podcast. So you have some key rules to live by. Well, I have so many rules to live by. I don't know which ones you're referring to. Let's have your, your top three then. If you, only, if you only can prioritize three things, you need to uh, build your lean muscle mass because that affects everything else that you do. We need to invest in our sleep because without sleep, nothing else works. Listen, I was a resident for six years, a fellow for one year. I know what it's not like. And then I had a baby for two years that, you know, that didn't, we didn't sleep. So for nine years, I didn't sleep. Ladies, if you don't protect your sleep and the, the environment of sleep, and there are interventions for that. So build lean muscle mass, protect your sleep. And, you know, there's, there's so many others, but uh, I want to tell you to decrease the, the added sugar in your life. It's going to make a world of difference for your musculoskeletal system. I want you to figure out your position on hormone replacement, those two things. But if you make me choose lean muscle mass, protect your sleep, and I want you to stay connected to smart, savvy women, because frankly, I believed at one point I was a rock, I was an island, and I didn't need anybody. And that is so not true. To live vibrantly throughout our lifespan, we need the connection with other people. So prioritize those three things. Thanks. Good rules to live by. And since this is the Love Mia Vita podcast, we want to make sure that you live, love your life. It's about my life, not, not me, Jerry or me, Vonda, it's whomever it is that's listening to this podcast, remember it is about you. So love me, Evita, take care of yourself and think about the rules that uh, Dr. Vonda Wright has shared with you. And we hope that you gain something more from this podcast. Our goal is to impart some knowledge 
that will be helpful to you in living your best and most exuberant life. So thank you, Dr. Vonda Wright, for being my guest. Vonda, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thanks so much for having me. It's always great to talk to you.